Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. What a game last night. The Raptors bring it home. They are the NBA champions. They defeat the Golden State Warriors on the road again. What a wonderful uh, game. That was exciting. I enjoyed it. I was out at a local pub uh, here in Victoria. Uh, had a real good time with a couple a couple of buddies of mine. The place was absolutely jam-packed uh, at the uh, JBI pub in Victoria. Going to have a pint of beer there, James Bay Inn, just down the street from the BC legislature. Real fun place there. The place was rocking last night. And it kind of makes you a little nostalgic, I think, for the days when we had our own NBA team in Vancouver, the Vancouver Grizzlies. Of course, they came into the league the same year as the Raptors. So here we see the Raptors winning it all, and unfortunately we don't have our team anymore. Did you ever go to any of those Grizzlies games when they were in town? I remember going to a few of those, and super exciting. I thought it was just uh, terrific entertainment. I was lucky enough to go to a few games and kind of lower bowl seats. And, man, when you see these players up close, the, the the gigantic size of these guys, the, the, the athleticism and the skill, super, super entertaining uh, to go to an NBA game. And when we lost the Grizzlies, I thought that was a super-duper shame for sure. I mean, if you go back, there are mistakes made, I guess, with the team. I mean, if you remember when they made that big draft pick one year when they uh, drafted that guy, Bryant Reeves, remember they called him Big Country there? And they signed him to a $64 million deal, and the guy was a total bust. I think he came in overweight to training camp and everything. You know, they made some mistakes, but it was still great to have that team in Vancouver when they were around, and it makes me miss them all the more when we see Toronto pull off what they did last night. So here is the hot question of the day. As Canada celebrates the Raptors' win, do you say it's now time for Vancouver? to get our own NBA team again. Do you think that we could support an NBA team, make it successful this time, keep the team from leaving? Let's do it. I think it would be exciting. What would you say about that? Should we get our own NBA team again? Would you say, yes, we also the North here in Vancouver, we can do it? Or would you say, no, there's not enough interest in NBA basketball here. Here's how you can vote on this today, at CKNW on Twitter. That's where you'll find the hot question of the day. Follow me while you're there, at Mike Smith News on Twitter, S-M-Y-T-H, at Mike Smith News on Twitter. Call me on the buzz line in this one today and tell me what you think. Do you want to see an NBA team in Vancouver again? 604-331-BUZZ, 604-331-BUZZ. 2899. I'll say one thing about Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum. This guy dreams big. He wants SkyTrain for Surrey. He wants a local municipal police force. 
And now he's talking about turning Surrey into the Venice of Canada, a canal through Surrey. Can you imagine just floating down that canal in Surrey, looking at the wonderful sights, the strip malls and the highways, and just hearing the gondolier sing those Italian arias for you? It'd just be beautiful. That would really be something. Who needs Venice? Who needs Amsterdam and these other canal cities? We can have a canal right here in Surrey. This is an incredible idea by Doug McCallum. Where does he get these ideas? Amazing. Let's check in with Janet Brown now, Global News senior reporter who got the scoop on this one. Hey, Janet. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, who needs Venice when you have who Surrey in a Venice? canal, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, my uh, wife, yes, my wife um, wants me to take her to Venice. I can say, let's go to Surrey instead, and we can take a little gondolier trip. That'd be nice. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell me all about uh, yes, this. Yes, the mayor, the mayor Doug McCallum, was uh, part of a panel yesterday. He was speaking in Surrey at an event hosted by the Downtown Surrey Business Improvement Association. And he was talking, and the others on the panel were discussing the future of the uh, Surrey Centre area, which is where City Hall is located. He talked about how there are 16 high-rises being planned for that area, a YMCA is coming, and how that area will be the future of Surrey and a focal point for our region, and how he hopes people can stay and work in their own community, and la-la-la-la-la. And then near the end of his address to the crowd, uh, he started talking about transportation and saying in future he believes there will be fewer cars on the road. And he says, in fact, right now, he says, quote, if you look around, there are fewer cars on the road. And I think that started to uh, pique people's interest in the room, because if anybody's ever come to Surrey and you live in Surrey, the roads seem pretty packed to most people here. They are jammed. And um, anyway, so he said that there seems to be fewer cars on the road these days. And then he segued mm. into, you know, because there are going to be fewer cars on the road in future, uh, there may be s- some unused streets in the city. And then he said, maybe we can turn one of those unused streets into a canal. And he talked about visiting his son in Qatar and how they have canals there. He mentioned Venice. Uh, Of course, a lot of people know about San Antonio, Texas, and the beautiful canals there. And he said, why why can't we do it in the city of Surrey? He said we could uh, take the water from the Fraser River, send it down this canal into the flatlands towards the South Surrey area, the agricultural lands. And he said it would be great, and possibly it could also be used as a transportation route. And um, so when he said that, my interest was piqued. That's for sure. So he wrapped up his address to the crowd and I ran up to interview him more and to try and get some more details about this plan. And let's play that interview I did with him after the meeting now, Mike. Okay. The idea certainly came to me when um, I noticed that in Qatar, as I said when I was there, that um, shopping centers had canals instead of walkways in, in a lot of their shopping centers. But um, if you look at some other cities like Venice and so forth, they have canals that they use for transportation. Um, Surrey's got unique because both rivers that um, flow through Surrey, the Nicomaco and Serpentine, 
um, run from the north to the south because the, our, our city slopes that way. And so um, the idea came up that if we could find a street that's not used quite uh, quite as much, especially with people using their cars less um, down the road, that we could put in a, a type of me, um, wandering canal using the street, which is the land we own already, as far as um, maybe a, a canal type thing through our city. Um, ending up in basically our agricultural fields or in South Surrey. Is that, is that a realistic thing, do you think? Oh, I think so. I think it's very... I've mentioned a few people, including our engineering department, and, you know, they uh, they, they, they certainly say it's thinking outside the box, but, uh, um, you know, they didn't uh, sort of reject it out of hand. Uh, water features, no matter what they are, um, has a big crowd uh, pleaser, and, and people enjoy that. Just our um, fountains out here, outside of the hotel, um, people are already because they just came on the other day. Um, people are already saying, "What? What happens if you make them a little more powerful and then start to add color into them at night?" We would bring our family down here and, and just to come to watch them and so forth. So it, it's things that I think we need to start looking at. Uh, they're not necessarily innovative because that's done around the world, but we need to start applying them um, to our city. So, just so I'm clear, what are you talking about, maybe, like going from the Fraser River down to the South Agricultural Land? Yeah, we would start in the Fraser somewhere, and then um, do a canal down sort of into the lowlands in um, in the center part of Surrey. Um, and um, we would use a, a road that, that that goes down there that um, um, can do. Um, it's very much when I was mayor before, I felt that we should have a lake in Surrey. And uh, we worked really hard to find a place, and that lake's there today. It's called Surrey Lake. It's just off 152nd. And I was there the other day, and it's used extensively. Now, in that case, it's just uh, walking trails. But the people around there love it. And, and it's a, a bird's sanctuary just about, and um, people just love that we put that in. So. Wow. Okay, you got a canal, you got colored fountains, lakes. I mean, this is an incredible uh, picture that the, the mayor is painting here, Janet. Th- this is incredible. Like, where did this come from, or is there any kind of estimate on how much something like this would cost? Uh, no, there isn't right now, but, you know, I'm reaching out to city councillors to say, hey, is this news to you? Has this been discussed behind closed doors? Uh, Jack Hundile, uh, I've reached out to all the councillors. Jack Hundile, the first one to get back to me, he said he first heard of this proposal and this idea by the mayor when I posted it to Twitter <laughs> yesterday afternoon. News to him. Wow. Uh, he has now reached out to city staff for an update to see what's going on, because as you heard the mayor say, he's already discussed this idea with his engineering staff. He actually has them on the job looking for a street that is less used. I've also emailed councillors Allison Patton, Lori Guerra, Doug Elford. They were at the speech yesterday, Mike. Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't get to talk to them because it was one of those things where do I talk to the mayor before he leaves or do I try and grab the councillors for reaction? I went with the mayor instead. I emailed those three councillors two hours ago. They have not responded to me so far. 
Uh, Councillor Brenda Locke says she is willing to respond around 11 this morning, so we'll be hearing right. from her later. Uh, Twitter is going bonkers. My Twitter <laughs> account is going crazy in response to this story. Uh, people are not that impressed saying, yes, mm. for one, how much is it going to cost? Uh, you know, is, is this a practical idea? So, you know, uh, and also our listener line, the buzz line, people are, are going crazy on there as well. Uh, you know, sort of the same thoughts as Twitter. Is there money in the city budget to even do this? Is it a practical yeah. idea? But you know what? You know, the mayor talks about that lake. Well, yeah. you know, I remember doing that lake story way back when, many moons ago, Mike. And, you know, at the time, people are like, is this crazy building a, a man-made lake in Surrey? And you know what? The mayor is right. People love that lake. I drive by it all the time. It's beautiful in there. So, you know, I'm not one of those people who really is used to thinking outside the box. I know the mayor is. And, you know, m you know what, what other ideas in the world have been born out of, you know, at first people thinking, you know, this is a really crazy idea. But then it turns out not to be such a crazy idea, you know, if it can be done. So, you know, who knows? You never know. Maybe Mr. Yeah. McCallum's one of those people who can get this done. You just well, don't he, know. And it might be, you know, imagine if he could too, right? Well, he certainly is thinking outside the box, like he's like he said there. I mean, canals and colored waterfalls and, and, and fountains and stuff. I mean, I don't know where this has come from. I mean, isn't this a city that when they brought in their budget there a few months ago, said they were had a budget crunch and they had to cancel some skating rinks and rec centers and libraries and stuff. And now he's talking about digging a canal. What's going on with that? Well, you're absolutely right. And some people are pointing that out. Some people are pointing that out on Twitter as well. You know, what yeah. about our two ice rinks that were initially promised before Mr. Yeah. Callum got into office? You know, they were canceled. Uh, and now he's talking about a canal. I mean, obviously, this isn't a short-term project. This is a long-term one, and maybe it'll be up for budget discussions that start fairly soon. Okay. Who knows? Uh, but right now, I'm telling you, what I'm, what I'm seeing on Twitter and on Facebook, people aren't liking this idea at all right now. All right, Janet, great job in this story as usual. Thanks for that. Thank you. Global News Senior Reporter Janet Brown on that story with Doug McCallum talking about a canal in the city of Surrey. Okay, let's talk about ride sharing in British Columbia and if we're ever going to get this. Now, the latest development on this uh, came earlier this week when BC Transportation Minister Claire Trevena put, uh, put her foot down and said a firm no on a Class 5 driver's license for ride-hailing drivers. Now, the significance of this is the government is insisting that when ride hailing, if and when it becomes a reality in this province, drivers would have to have a commercial license. That's a class four uh, driver's license. It's currently required for taxi drivers, truck drivers, that kind of thing. It's a, it's a more expensive process to get this license. You have to go through some specific training to get it. The class five driver's license is the standard driver's license that most people have got in their purse or wallet. It's the normal run-of-the-mill driver's license. This will not be uh, uh, efficient or it won't be enough to qualify you to be a ride-share driver in B.C. Now, this goes against the recommendations of an all-party committee at the legislature, Uber and Lyft. Of course, these other companies wanted the Class 5 license to get as many drivers as they can. Let's talk about this issue now. Terry Towner, Coquitlam City Councillor. She's been a very outspoken and supportive ride-sharing. I'm very pleased to welcome her back. Councillor, thank you for coming on. 
Oh, my pleasure, Mike. Thanks for oh, having me. Thank you. What do you think about the government putting a, the, the minister here saying no to a Class 5 license? Well, for the record, I want to say it looks like we are making progress towards um, embracing getting ride healing into our province, but I really don't think that having the Class 4 um, license is going to enable us to fully embrace the ride healing framework. Why is that? Well, it first of all, I don't, I mean, even the committee didn't recommend it. So yeah. I, ICBC has indicated that there's basically no traffic safety differences between a class four and class five. And I just think that driving record should have more weight, background checks, medical exams, the driving rating systems on the Uber and Lyft on the apps after you have a drive, um, a ride with a driver. I think that is more important than what class the, the driver has. Yeah. I think it will um, impede people from, um, it won't fill the gaps that we currently face in our transportation system in our region. When, you say, when you say that there's no traffic safety difference between the two classes of driver's license, a class four and a class five, do you mean there's like there's no evidence that a class four license is going to be a safer driver? Is that what you mean? That's what I read somewhere, yes. That yeah. There's basically no higher rate of accidents with somebody with a class four versus a class five. Yeah, even though with a class four, presumably you get more training. Well, I logged right? on to the ICBC site to look at how to get the class four, and it's hundred and something pages, the, the manual, and I just don't think that... People who are very good drivers, I would like to be a ride-sharing driver. I would turn my app on when I'm free and drive people around. And I have no issues on my driving record. And yeah. I'm a safe driver, I'm responsible, and I won't be able to do that and help fill some of the transportation gaps in my city without the Class 4 under so, the current legislation. Well, maybe you could go get a, a, a Class 4 license. Yeah, you know what? If I'm that passionate about it, then that is something that I will do. But I'm just saying I don't think that many other people who also want to participate in the industry will. I think it just increases the red tape. Right. Speaking to Coquitlam City Councillor Terry Towner here about ride sharing, do you think that there's some suspicion that this government is really beholden to the taxi industry lobby and that maybe what this really is is just another roadblock for ride-sharing in order to make it more difficult for ride-sharing to become a reality in the province. Maybe they secretly hope that Uber and Lyft, the two main companies, will just throw up their hands and walk away and just say, forget it, we're out of here. I mean, do you think that that's what's going on? I mean, the government is saying this is all about safety. This is safety for the public. But do you think it's really about stopping ride-sharing from actually happening? I think I've said this before. I'm not a cynical person, but if we require everyone to have a taxi license, then we are effectively blocking ride sharing. Yeah, but it's not a taxi license, all right? No, it's just a, a driver's license. Yeah, yeah. But it, yeah. But which which a taxi driver? You know, if you're a taxi driver, you got to have that class four license, right? You do, but you know yeah. what? I've had some pretty um, <laughs> pretty horrible experiences with taxis: the speeding, the weaving in and out of traffic, the running the red lights. And there's no way for me to rate that driver afterwards. Whereas a yeah, ride-sharing yeah. driver that behaves that way, I can rate them, and they would lose their license. Yeah, I mean, you're right about the rating system. It's one of the it's one of the great things about about the ride-sharing app system is that you can rate the driver. And when you call for a ride-sharing car, the driver's uh, name, picture, and rating comes up on your 
phone and you can see their rating before you get into that car. Yes, I just used Uber umpteen times in the last couple of weeks when I was in Quebec. Mm-hmm. I could see what they looked like, what kind of car they drove, their driver's, their license plate, and their record before I ordered them. Yeah, what did you think? Did you like that? That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I had great service. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've used it in several cities outside of British Columbia, too, and it's worked like a charm every every time, every time I've used it. What about some of these other issues? Like, I, I think the Class 4, Class 5 license is, um, is certainly a critical piece of the puzzle here, but the other ones that have been brought up are, would the government try to put some kind of limit or caps on the maximum number of drivers allowed on the road? Would they try to control their pricing? Try, you know, have the government set the prices and not the companies? Would they bring in these these crazy municipal boundaries and not let people cross boundaries in order to pick up passengers? Where are we at with those regs? I read the committee recommendations saying that they are willing to allow the ride-sharing drivers to not have geographic boundaries, right? which I support. Yeah, I mean, I hear from residents all the time who are in downtown Vancouver, and the bars are closed, they've been out having a good time, and they have no option to get home because the Taxi drivers won't bring them home to Coquitlam. Yeah, so like I, if, yeah, if we if they allow those other rules, you know, if if they say we'll have no no maximum cap on the number of drivers, we'll have none of these crazy municipal boundary rules. We're not going to set your prices. You guys set your own prices. This is all good, I think. And I do too. Yeah, and if they if they stick, if if the only demand they make is the class four license, I, I'm not sure that's a deal breaker. Maybe maybe we get ride sharing anyway. You know, I, I don't think it'll be a deal breaker for people that really, really want to enter the the market of being a rideshare driver. Yeah. But I just, it's still supplying them, it's still managing the supply. We won't get right. the number of drivers out there that the market is demanding, that yeah, our region right. needs. Yeah, I, I mean, don't think you, all the gaps will be filled. Yeah, you're definitely, if you bring in a, a restriction on the license, you're obviously going to limit the number of people willing to do it. Yes. So... Why do we need ride-sharing? I know you're very passionate and supportive of it. Why do you think we need it? Well, I, the monopoly that we have in place right now does not address the needs of all of our residents. Like I talked about coming, getting home after hours, um, the trip refusal. Just last week while I was in Quebec, there was a, a local woman who complained because the driver in the taxi wasn't turning on the meter, so she phoned back to the head office and it turned into an altercation, and she ended up, there was quite an incident, a little bit of an altercation, and she has no choice. She needs to use a taxi every day to get to and from work because she's got a disability, and there's no other option for her to travel around. So there are some gaps that need to be filled, and, you know, I've talked about when I volunteer for Operation Red Nose during the holiday season, we run into people that have been waiting hours for a taxi, they end up not being able to get one because there's just not enough. So there are gaps out there right. that many of our residents need, and ride-sharing would fill those gaps. Especially in Coquitlam, right? And the yep. other sort of uh, suburbs, yeah. Yeah, out in the right. suburbs. Yep. Councillor, thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me, Mike. I appreciate that. That's Terry Towner. She's a Coquitlam City Councillor. She's been very outspoken in supporting ride-sharing. The news this week, the government saying... You will uh, ride-sharing drivers will be required to get a commercial Class Four license, a Class Five license. The normal everyday driver's license will not be adequate. You won't be able to be a ride-share driver with a Class Five license. What-
I just really want to signal from the capital city of British Columbia that there is a great deal of support and respect uh, for the work that veterans are doing. Um, and if anything came out of this council uh, over the past week that signaled anything other than that, I am sorry on behalf of this council. Okay, welcome back. Mike Smith in for Simi. That is the voice of Victoria Mayor Lisa Helps speaking last night at an emotional meeting of Victoria City Council. Of course, the council walking back that controversial motion passed last week to ask Veteran Affairs Canada to pay for Remembrance Day services in the city to save taxpayers' money. This was a controversial proposal. Got a lot of people upset, a lot of veterans were angry. I think they rightly felt this was a cheap shot and a snub at our veterans, especially the timing of it coming last Thursday, the 75th anniversary of D-Day. You could not have gotten worse timing than that when the entire world was thinking about the sacrifice of Canadians and other members of the Allied forces fighting the Nazis, uh, giving, la- giving their lives, laying down their lives on those beaches in France 75 years to the day. They pass a motion asking veterans to pay for Remembrance Day. Brutal. Victoria Mayor Lisa Helps and her fellow councillors uh, say that that motion is now dead. They didn't bring it forward for another vote. Now, the councillor who originally introduced the motion, Ben Isaac, not happy. He claims there's been a smear campaign against him over all of this. Here's what he told council. I feel compelled to provide a brief comment on the toxic political culture that is being encouraged by some corporate media organizations and conservative political organizations in this country. Responsibility for this toxicity resides primarily outside of our community, fortunately. To be frank, I think this agenda is dangerous and it undermines our democratic institutions. It distorts City Council's deliberations in order to stir up emotional reactions. And it discourages elected officials from asking the hard questions necessary to do the jobs that we were elected to do. The logical outcome of the smear campaign against this city council will be the rubber stamping of every request for funds or every other decision that comes across our desk out of fear of causing offense. To be sure, the motion considered last week was ill-timed and it would have been better to have asked those questions and considered that action on any other day of the year. If anyone was offended by the timing of council's consideration of that motion, my apologies particularly uh, to ex-soldiers and other ex-members of the armed forces. If I had a thinner skin, I would potentially be discouraged by the perpetual smear campaign against my character since the past election. But that is not my inclination, so instead I'm going to speak out and call out the forces of reaction in order to do the job that the people of Victoria elected me to do. Okay, that's Victoria Councillor Ben Isett there uh, standing his ground last night after he moved that original motion to ask Veteran Affairs Canada to pay for Remembrance Day uh, services in the city. This all reached ahead because of the unhappy reaction and an often angry reaction of veterans who felt that this was a snub directed at them. These councillors heard directly from a veteran last night. His name is Keith Rosenberg. He spoke at council. Have a listen. For those who voted for it, you should be ashamed of yourselves. The motion is an incredible injustice to the men and women that risked their all for Canadian values and freedoms and should now have to stand before their council to remind them the concept of duty before self. Perhaps I should remind you that November 11th is a community event, that in reality the military are the guests of honour and not the organisers. 
I cannot stress enough that November 11th was not started by the military. It was created as a way for the communities to acknowledge the fallen and their sacrifices and definitely not to glorify war. The price that any soldier may ever owe has been paid in blood of the fallen. The sleepless nights of those who relive the nightmares after returning home. And by the families that are broken up because we cannot get the help that politicians have promised us. How much more blood do we need to shed? How many more veterans must take their own lives or turn to self-medication to forget the horrors we have experienced? It is my hope that the City Council will issue an immediate written apology to the veteran community and that Mr. Izzet will step down from his office for the insult he has handed to the veterans. But I doubt we'll even get a sincere apology from him. I feel the need to remind the, this historian that those who refuse to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Please think about this over the next $10,000 located lunch that the City Council has. This council has made our city the laughing stock of the Commonwealth with some of the more recent motions, and I am now ashamed to admit that I live here. It is indeed a sad state when local businesses like London Drugs feel they have to step up to do what our elected officials refuse to do. Thank you. Wow, as veteran Keith Rosenberg really sticking it to that Victoria City Council last night. They reversed that motion effectively to ask Veteran Affairs to pay for Remembrance Day services. You heard the mayor apologize there. Some of those other councillors who, who voted for that motion, by the way, also uh, issuing apologies last night. Now, yesterday on the show, I told you about a group of Navy veterans celebrating their 50th anniversary reunion. That had been planned for the city of Victoria. They decided to boycott the city over this. I'm, I'm curious, in the light of this reversal by council and some of the apologies we heard last night, I wonder if the boycott is still going on. Well, let's find out. With, uh, t- checking with John Appler. He's a retired Navy veteran. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the program. Hiya, John. Hi there, Michael. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for coming on. What did you think of the, uh, the apology from uh, the mayor last night? And uh, they're not going forward with this motion now. Uh, I think the apology from the mayor and most of the council was sincere. Um. But okay. there is something that is still lacking, and that the mere thought that a motion like that could even be brought up is sort of disgusting to us. Uh, on a on a note, uh, I've done a quick. I've been. I was tied up today with some medical issues, uh, and that and I didn't get home till around eleven o'clock. And I've done a quick poll of uh, the seventy or eighty guys uh, I have communication with and asked them to give me a yay or nay for boycott. And I got about uh, a dozen responses. And to be quite honest, I was a little surprised. Uh, Only three or four of us have said, yes, we would uh, cancel the boycott, but cautiously try to work, work through it and that. But... The rest of them are definite no, don't cancel the boycott, have the event somewhere else. Mm. And the surprising thing is most of the guys who are against it are from the South Island area. And that they do, as one put it, they do, council, this council has done things like this before and then reverse, reverse their decisions later right. on. Right. And that, um, on a, I talked to uh, 
the uh, Trafalgar Pro Patria uh, Legion to tell them like our boycott was not intended to hurt them. We, you know, unfortunately they're sort of the innocents in this. And I was informed that uh, there's an issue about the tax taxes and that there, and it was number being bantied about was seventy five or eighty thousand dollars in property taxes. Yeah. They apparently say now no, it's over a hundred thousand dollars and that that the city of Victoria wants. So this is the city of Victoria taxing a nonprofit organization that contributes hundreds of thousands of dollars back into the community, but no, they gotta get their their hundred thousand out of them right. first. Hey John John, let me ask you this. There's been a lot of emotion. There's been a lot of anger on this issue. And I think rightly rightly so and understandably so. And I can, I can certainly understand how it appears a lot of, a lot of your guys for, and your planned reunion would still want to continue with a boycott of the, of the city of Victoria. What are your own personal thoughts on it? I mean, do you think at some point, like if the city reverses this motion like they did last night, you get an apology from the mayor maybe it'd be better for everyone to to accept the apology and move on, or do you think it's important to continue to make a statement here? Uh, I, I actually do think it's important that we do make a statement, that yeah. this this is a one-of thing, but it's not the only thing that has happened there. Um, I agree with the... I, I was sort of getting a little incensed listening to uh, the councillor talking about... Uh, you know, conservative political uh, organizations and that, and the corporate media being against them. If anything, I I don't consider the media in Canada to be a right-wing, right-leaning uh, organizations, and that. So I don't know where he's coming from when he's so far left. Well, let's not talk about him. I I am really. My own opinion was, I would like to say yes we're going to come back to victoria yeah. we and that but there's going to be caveats on it we got to we have to have justice and that and it's it's not only this this motion but the previous history of the council and uh and some of their votes and that right. it is sort of uh, uh veterans i think veterans are being kicked to the curb by this council Hey, John, we just got one minute left here. I, I think you have very bravely took a position here and you and your shipmates here and stepping up and speaking out on this issue, which I congratulate you on. What kind of reaction have you received over this this week from, let's say, from other veterans groups and other people online? I know you're active on Facebook and stuff. What's the reaction been like for you in a minute here? Generally, all the Facebook comments I've seen have been positive to boycotting, and that's from veterans all across Canada. I think okay. probably every province and territory may have been represented. The The general consensus seems to be it was a very poor dis- motion decision made in that. Uh, I'm not too sure. I haven't really had a chance to, to follow up on the as of the results of last night's okay. uh, thing. But I, I do believe it, it. it's important perhaps to follow up is they didn't rescind it, they just didn't vote on it. They right, voted they just not didn't, to vote on it. Right, they just didn't call it for a vote. John, I want to thank you again uh, for coming on the show today and for speaking up and stepping up and speaking out on this issue. I think This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage, all the way to the 
we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, I think your, your action uh, was a big reason for this reversal by city council last night. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Mike. Okay, that's John Appler. He's a retired Navy veteran, part of that boycott. Cannabis edibles now coming your way soon in our country. Now, we all know that marijuana is legal in Canada now, but you can legally buy bud, right? You can legally buy weed, the dried flower of the cannabis plant, better known as bud or weed. Yeah, we all know that's legal and available in Canada now, but what about other cannabis products like edibles like gummies like topicals extracts well they are all on their way to canadian store shelves by mid-december just in time for your christmas stocking health canada has released its final regulations on these pot products dictating the rules on packaging and also on how much thc the uh, active ingredient marijuana will be allowed The marijuana-infused foods or drinks will have a cap of 10 milligrams of THC, while vaping oils or topicals like lotions are allowed a maximum of 1,000 milligrams. In the past hour, Bill Blair, the Federal Minister of Border Security and Organized Crime Reduction, spoke to reporters. Here's what he said. We want to ensure that whatever is available for adult consumption is is presented in such a way that it lowers the risk of its use. And so there'll be potency and and purity information available front of package. They'll they'll know what it is they're consuming. If they buy it on the street, it's a crapshoot. That can't be allowed to continue. We also want to make sure that there are appropriate health warnings, that the packaging is done in a way which fulfills the government's commitment. It's not our intention to promote the use of this drug, only to, to make it available legally and in a regulated way in both its production and distribution, um, to adult Canadians who make the choice to use cannabis. And and if they want to make that choice, we want to make sure that it can be done in a lower-risk way. Okay, that's uh, Bill Blair, the Federal Minister of Organized Crime Reduction, talking about marijuana edibles and other products. Yeah, that was uh, that sound coming in the last hour or so. Let's check in now with Jack Lloyd. He's a cannabis lawyer, and I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Hello, Jack. Hello. Thank you uh, for having me. Thanks very, thanks very much for coming on. What are your thoughts on what the government has announced here? Uh, well, uh, obviously, I'm very pleased that uh, after a great deal of time and energy has been uh, passed, they're finally allowing for non-smokable uh, cannabis consumption. Right. But obviously, the restrictions placed by the government, in, in my view, are, are completely arbitrary. So uh, lots of stuff to be happy about, but it's not a it's not a complete win for people that you know choose to com- consume cannabis. What are some of those restrictions that you're concerned about? Uh, well, the restriction on um, cannabis potency is arbitrary in that it, it relates to a restriction that was imposed in relation to. And this is really what I'm troubled about. It's a restriction that was imposed in relation to uh, medical cannabis after uh, a, a very good uh, and hardworking um, lawyer uh, won a case uh, called Smith 
uh, that was Kirk Tussaud. So Kirk Tussaud won this case called Smith in which the government was forced to acknowledge that medical cannabis patients uh, are entitled to access cannabis in all of its forms. And so all of these restrictions on potency to medicinal cannabis uh, and now <laughs> recreational cannabis flow from that case. So it's basically the government backstepping. And so what troubles me is that uh, people are lawfully entitled to access a substance and the government is arbitrarily issuing restrictions on how they access it. Okay, so, when, you talk, when you talk about potency, you're talking about the, the amount of THC that will be allowed in the products, right? Uh, that, yes, that's a fair assessment, yes. Yeah, okay, so the government has said today that marijuana-infused food or drinks would have a cap of 10 milligrams. Is, is that not a, isn't that like a normal dose? It's super low. So most, oh. most, uh, it's a very low dose. So um, uh, that's fine, but uh, they should also offer stronger alternatives, right? Like they're creating a situation in which uh, cannabis is more harshly regulated than liquor. And uh, that's a completely unfair manner of regulating something. So uh, someone that wants to access a very high-potency liquor yeah. can do so very easily, whereas someone that wants to access cannabis that's in a higher dosage has to break the law. That's essentially what the government has done. So, uh, you know, I understand it from a procedural standpoint, which is that they, they make small uh uh, acknowledgments of the community and allow people to access a small amount, you know, at form A and then form B, they might access more. But at its core, um, the majority of people that want edibles want uh, uh a great deal more than the government is currently offering. Okay, speaking of Jack Lloyd, is a cannabis lawyer about the cannabis uh, edibles regulations just announced by the federal government. If you've got a cap of 10 milligrams of THC on a marijuana-infused food, like a gummy or whatever, and if you think that that is too low, you think that's a very low dose, can't you just eat two gummies, double your dose? You certainly can. The issue uh, in in general, like the issue that generally I deal with, is an individual that uh, requires a lot more and has been forced to consume uh, these uh, low dosage uh, varietals uh, and ends up ill because they've had to eat so much uh, non cannabis product. So, I see. <laughs> So you end up with a sick person that requires a lot more that has to then consume, uh, you know, glasses and glasses full of an extract. I, I wonder, Jack, do you have any thoughts on uh, how the government intends to enforce these limits? I mean, if you just do a, a simple Google search, which I just did over the commercial break, I mean, you can find lots of mail order services in Canada right now that are selling these uh, these edible products now through the mail pretty much with uh, apparent impunity. So, I mean, you know, you got the government saying, oh, here's our regulations. Oh, boy, this is this is going to be great. I mean, you know, this is wide open market for edibles through through mail order right now, aren't there? Uh, well, I, I, I'm not in a position to comment on that, but what I can say is that they have 
severely, severely targeted storefront uh, operations that provide access to these products. So yeah. that's the really sad part of this is that the government has uh, very successfully sought to shut down um, safe, clean, well-lit spaces in which uh, consenting adults can access uh, these products and said that, you know, instead you need to wait in very long lines uh, for unreliable access to the same product you, from government stores. Do so you it, think, it, it is troubling. Do you think there's a danger in enforcing these, these kind of strict regulations that they drive some of the marijuana trade underground into the black market, into maybe criminal criminal organized organized crime links if people want uh marijuana edibles that are yeah. higher concentrations that are allowed under the law you're just you're going to continue to create a black market for it uh well i think that they absolutely will not only continue to create a black market for it but they will be invigorating and ensuring a black market for it uh okay. simply because uh, so many of the products that people rely on uh, are only reliably available through um, uh, little dispensaries. And so okay. the act of shutting them down and labeling them as organized crime or whatever the government decides to call them, uh, that act certainly will drive them underground. It will certainly frustrate the actual stated purposes of that, uh, uh, the the provincial and federal legislative framework for legal cannabis, okay. all of that will be frustrated by this. So you're absolutely correct that uh, okay. they'll be driven underground. You're, you're correct. Thanks for coming on. Our pleasure. Thank you for having I, me. I appreciate it. Jack Lloyd, he's a cannabis lawyer. He represents patients uh, seeking access to medical marijuana. With all the excitement going on with the big Raptors win last night, Friday before the weekend, maybe some people might forget some important dates. So let me give you a little friendly reminder. Don't forget about Dad. This Sunday is Father's Day. Don't forget. Father's Day this Sunday. Now, this is the Friday before Father's Day. And by the way, it is also Plaid for Dad Week. Thousands of workforces across Canada are going Plaid today. It's all to raise awareness and raise funds around men's health, specifically prostate cancer research. So let's talk about that very important issue, men's health. Great opportunity to talk about it with uh, Father's Day coming up on Sunday. Let's check in now with Robin Spear. He's Prostate Cancer Canada's ambassador. Robin, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Hey, tell me a little bit about the plaid for dad thing. How does that work? Certainly, yeah. Well, you're right. It's the Friday before Father's Day. Uh, so Prostate Cancer Canada launched the Plaid for Dad campaign five years ago in 2015. This is the fifth year. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a sort of a workplace engagement activity, uh, a fun, easy thing for individuals and organizations to do the Friday before Father's Day to celebrate fathers and men 
and raise awareness about the one in seven men who will be diagnosed with prostate cancer in their lifetimes. Um, and it's the most common cancer in men. Uh, and, and, you know, men sometimes don't like talking about their health and maybe don't like going to the doctor. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the survivability of prostate cancer today is nearly 100% if detected early. And so that's uh, what this Platform Ad Awareness campaign is uh, all about. Okay, I think it's really cool. If you go on social media like Facebook or other social media sites, you'll see lots of photos of people uh, posted online today with uh, co-workers wearing plaid at the office. And I think it's a great way to certainly uh, raise some money for cancer research, but maybe even more importantly is to raise awareness about prostate cancer, which I think is crucially important for sure. That number that you mentioned, Robin, really jumps out at me. One in seven men could uh, be test positive for prostate cancer in their lifetime. That's a big number. Maybe that's bigger than most people realize. It's a huge number, Mike. Exactly. It is the most common cancer in men, 20,000 a year. Uh, of those 20,000 a year, unfortunately, we're still losing about 4,000 Canadian men a year. That's about 11 a day. And uh, wow. the reason for that is largely because uh, they were not detected early. They, they didn't have a regular checkup. And when they did get diagnosed, it was uh, in a later stage. So that's what we're, uh, we're encouraging is early detection. Um, you know, if you have a history of it in your family, start talking to your doctor and uh, looking at doing, uh, doing the tests earlier on in your sort of early to mid-40s. Otherwise, yeah. once you're in your late 40s or 50s, you can, you can go in and do that. There's simple blood tests today. Diagnosis is becoming uh, easier, simpler, more accurate. Uh, so there's really no excuse for men to not uh, talk with their families and their physicians about their health um, because, again, you know, that survivability is nearly 100% today, which is, uh, which is incredible. In the last 25 years, that, that fatality rate has dropped about 50%. And while treatment is improving and everything's improving, a lot of that is, is awareness. Okay, that's very exciting news to hear about that survivability rate. And especially for older guys, like I'm, I'm a guy over 50, I recently... I uh, talked to my doctor about this and got tested. Uh, do you think, like, why is it that maybe some guys are are reluctant to talk about prostate with uh, with their doctor? I mean, they're a little squeamish about a, a you know a rectal exam or something. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's it's things like that. It's yeah. uh, it's just maybe you know culturally, it's it's uh, you know part of the reproductive uh, system. Uh, you know, maybe it's it's some of that. But uh, you know, I come from uh, farm family backgrounds in Saskatchewan, and uh, you know, I know a lot of guys who wouldn't go to the doctor even if they had a broken leg on the <laughs> farm, right? Yeah. And uh, it's it's just uh, you know, it, it could be a little bit of all of those things, but. Uh, you know the fatality rate's dropping and uh, and survivability is uh, you know skyrocketing and so that's uh, that's the whole point. Just take the simple yeah. blood test, uh, you know, further further tests, and that's uh, that's what it's about. So we figured, you know, Plaid for Dad, uh, folks can learn more about uh, the effort, but also about prostate cancer awareness at PlaidForDad.ca. Uh, you can look at some videos there. We're encouraging folks to, uh, you know, workplaces to take part and individuals and then uh, put on some plaid today. Uh, it's not too late, you know. Throw yep. on your favorite plaid, uh, post your photos, the social media, the hashtag plaid for dad. And um, that continues to help raise that awareness and, and tell that story. And so that's uh, what it's all about. And you can donate at plaidfordad.ca uh, as well. We've raised about $1.6 in the in the first four years, and that all goes to research to... Uh, 
continue improving those uh, those outcomes because there's very exciting stuff happening and including a lot of very exciting stuff in Vancouver. Uh, research at UBC and the Vancouver Prostate Center, um, world-leading uh, uh, research on uh, on treatment to improve outcomes. So that's where the dollars go, and uh, and we're applied to uh, you know to uh, to raise awareness and, and keep keep the conversation going. Yeah, I think that blood test is a great thing to know about because I remember when I when I spoke to my doctor about this a little while ago and you know um you know you snap on the rubber glove okay we're ready for the examination that that's fine <laughs> but then he said but then he says but we're also going to get the blood test okay and he said the blood test is a really effective uh screening thing and he my doctor mentioned to me about how in some provinces, I don't, I don't know if this is a patchwork thing across Canada, but in some provinces, there's a charge, right? Like patients can be charged for the blood test. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it's uh, you know twenty or thirty dollars in some provinces. Some provinces, the uh, the governments cover it. You know, I think we're we're yeah. certainly advocating that all provincial governments do cover it because it's yeah. such an important test. It's a simple test and uh, and can be very helpful. Uh, you know, and and like you just said, might be easier for uh, for some men to maybe uh, go that route uh, to begin with. Yeah, I I would go I'd go for both. I think is is what guys yes. should do. I mean, that's what my doctor said. And I think I think that's what what men should do for sure. You you talked about that early detection, the importance there. Now, if they do get an early detection of prostate cancer, what is what is typically a treatment? Well, you know, all men are are different, certainly, and there's uh, you know there's there's different uh, methods of treatment with with drugs and uh, and uh, radiation. Um, you know, it, it it's. It, Men certainly have different biochemistries and different bodies, and you know you want to work with your physician on that. But you know the ultimate bottom line is uh, you know you you get diagnosed late and you're in an advanced state. Um, three of four of those men are still going to die, and that's that's in that four thousand Canadian men a year we're still losing to prostate cancer because they didn't get detected early. So you know I've got some colleagues and and friends uh, going through treatment now. Um, you know they, they were detected late. Those outcomes are improving too. You know, we're still we're still seeing positive trend lines on all of that. But um, you know, what they've had to undergo in in surgeries and treatments over the last uh, you know number of months and and in some cases even a number of years is uh, you know significantly uh, more than you'd want uh, compared to uh, the, uh, the the finger test and the blood test, right? And so that's right. what uh, you know early detection. You're going to have that good outcome. It's easy. Make it part of your routine checkup. And uh, guys need to talk with each other about this and, and their families yep. and doctors and because uh, it is a good news story and it, it continues, uh, continues getting better. Okay, one more quick question for you, Robin. Let's say uh, you go to your doctor, you get the test, you get the test and you're, you're, everything's clear. What can you do to stay healthy and prevent prostate cancer? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, there's obviously genetic, uh, you know, issues associated with it. We're learning more and more about that through research. But, uh, you know, I think it's it's physical activity, right? Um, there's some really exciting research going on with that at the University of Alberta right now, uh, even in advanced uh, prostate cancer. Be physically active, be physically fit, you know, eat eat healthy with a balanced diet. Um, it's just, you know, those lifestyle uh lifestyle choices that, that we all, all okay. know about, right? I mean, it's it's across the board. That'll improve your outcomes uh, as far as prostate cancer is, uh, okay. is concerned as well. Yeah. Okay. Give me that website again, Robin, for people who want to get more information or donate. Yeah. Go to platfordad.ca. That's the campaign run by Prostate Cancer Canada. You can donate there, learn more there, and uh, put on some plaid today, hashtag uh, platfordad. Uh, you can learn, learn right. a lot more about the campaign and uh, what's going on in, uh, in Vancouver and BC and across the country. 
Awesome, Robin. Thanks for coming on. Happy Father's Day. Thanks so much. Yeah, you too, Mike. Cheers. Okay, thanks a lot. It's Robin Spear. He's the ambassador for Prostate Cancer Canada, Plaid for Dad uh, today. And remember, Father's Day this Sunday. And guys, get tested for this. That's very important.